I think one of the areas where we need to improve as an industry is not feeling like we need to solve this alone. Um, I think partnerships are key. The electric utility doesn't necessarily need to solve this, this issue alone. Um, a lot of our emissions come from the transportation sector. A lot of the emissions come outside of um, electric utilities. And so really making sure that we're looking at this holistically and, and trying to solve this problem together, I think is important. Hello and welcome to On The Grid, Z-Prime's podcast about important issues regarding energy, cities, and much more. I'm your host, Ricky Murray, and today I have a special treat for you. Taking the podcast reins this week is Z-Prime research and data analyst Hiba Bukhari. Hiba traveled to Sacramento, California to chat with Smudge Chief Zero Carbon Officer Laura Angway and a podcast familiar voice, Jared Matwire from DNV. Together, they discuss how equity will play a major role in the energy transition. So turn up your speakers, it's time to get on the grid, y'all. Hello and welcome. My name is Hiba Bukhari, and I'm the research and content analyst from Z Prime. Collectively, we will not be able to hit our net zero decarbonization goals unless North America reaches carbon negative by 2050. At the federal levels, we have buy-in from the top and the bipartisan infrastructure law that will offer a flood of funding and help create necessary infrastructure across several sectors. But if we don't maintain an equity lens throughout the entire endeavor, then we're going to further widen the gaps of inequality across communities. Join us as we interview DMV's Jared Metwire and Laura Angway, SMOT's Chief Zero Carbon Officer, as we discuss the practicalities of the equitable energy transition and more. Welcome, Jared. Welcome, Laura. Thank you for joining me. Thank Thanks, Eva. Can you it's tell me? Here. Thank you. Can you tell me a little bit about your roles and what you do in your jobs? Uh, Jared, let's start with you, please. Thanks, Eva. Uh, I'm the Senior Vice President, and I lead a group called Markets and Risk at DNV. Uh, we do research, evaluation, and consulting for utilities and other clients, and really focusing on accelerating the energy transition. Uh, one of the things I've been most passionate about most recently is really focusing on equity and pushing our equity services, centering those first, as opposed to, to the traditional services. Thank you. Laura? Good morning. Laura Nguai. I'm our Chief Zero Carbon Officer at SMUD. I've been here for about 18 years. Um, but this is a really new role for me. It's a really new role for the industry. And really, I'm focused on um, achieving our decarbonization efforts. Um, I've got a great team that's supporting me. Um, really looking at um, implementing our, our 2030 Zero Carbon Plan. So there was a sense of urgency at last year's COP26 as it became evident that if we continue as if it's business as usual, we aren't going to be able to keep temperatures from going uh, more than 1.5 Celsius degrees by 2050. The need to accelerate the energy transition is upon us. Can you speak more to how exactly this transition is being accelerated? Uh, Laura, we'll start with you first, please. Yeah, in 2020, our SMUD Board of Directors issued a climate emergency declaration, which really instructed staff to take action in the fight against climate change. By April of 2021, our teams had developed our zero carbon plan, and it was adopted by the board in April of 2021. Since then, it's been about a year, so we've been full steam ahead and working on the, our decarbonization efforts and making really good progress. That's awesome. That's wonderful. Jared? Yeah, and I think what Laura just mentioned, I think SMUD's climate emergency is really a model, that sense of urgency. I think even earlier this year we saw the IPCC 
report that showed, you know, it, it really is, we have to do it now if we have any chance uh, to avoid some of the irreversible changes of climate change. And I know certainly, you know, both, both Laura and myself have experienced it directly and yourself here in California, you know, seeing the effects of climate change year after year after year with, you know, the hundred year storm or the hundred year wildfire happening every single year. I think that's a really good point. And part of why we chose 2030 and was really to get ahead and to create that sense of urgency. So I know the state goals are a little bit later than our, than our goals, but it really was to make sure that we are starting a movement here in Sacramento and mm -hmm. then hoping that it catches on globally. Uh, what does it mean to reach carbon negative and how do you envision we get there in time? So what we're doing um, mm -hmm. is we're, we're focusing first on our decarbonizing our power supply. So we're looking at our um, power generation assets and making sure that we have clean assets. We are focused on um, our thermal asset transition, so taking our gas-fired power plants and, and figuring out a solution to make sure that they're zero carbon emitting. Um, in addition to the, our power supply, though, we're also focused on electrification within our region. Um, and we feel that that helps to get us to um, ne carbon negative. So if we help the region decarbonize buildings and the transportation sector, then we actually will achieve the, the carbon negative. Yeah, and it's great points from Laura because I think you know if you if you look at the uh, we'll just take the larger state of California, mm -hmm. you know we've seen those those goals, but they are more centered on uh, what's going to happen by 2040 or 2045, and it has happened in sort of uh, uh, different stages. Um, so so uh, cleaning the supply has happened, uh, but there's a number of of challenges with that. Uh, challenges of interconnecting those resources balancing those resources with demand. And I think the, the key, the central part that Laura mentioned is that by making that commitment to accelerate and get ahead of, of say the 2035 uh, ban on gas, gas cars in California uh, that was issued by the governor, uh, to actually hit those, you need to get there sooner. And actually to do it equitably, you have to, you have to think about that earlier for that market to actually be there uh, for everyone. So I think central to it is the, is the bold goal of, of being aggressive early on because the next few years are the most important years. I love that. I know you talked about tackling these issues aggressively, especially from a policy perspective. You mentioned that in, in your um, podcast with, with Z Prime, with my coworkers, Ricky and uh, Joyce, yeah. And, uh, yeah, yeah, and I think, and, and I'm curious to, to, to hear more about, I think Laura mentioned kind of being new to this role, but having, you know, been at SMUD for so long, I think kind of understanding, uh, you know, what, you know the, the, the people of Sacramento and understanding all their different needs is going to be really critical to, to hitting those goals. And really, it's the people that are demanding that, mm -hmm. that aggressive stance. It's not just, you know, just this, the, the staff at SMUD making that decision. It really is the people that, that, that are seeing the impacts of climate change, and they want something done about it. That's an interesting point, and uh, leads, us, leads me to my next question. Um, you said the people. The people are the, the ones who are uh, feeling the effects of, of uh, climate change and the ones who are demanding uh, this change uh, in, in in power generation. And so with that, equity has been top of mind, particularly in the past two years with COVID um, exacerbating existing challenges. What does it mean in the, ex in the context of the energy transition? For us, I think it goes beyond um, equitable access to our incentives and programs. And we, we have incentives for electric vehicles and 
for solar and battery storage, but I think it, it takes it a step beyond that. We're actually focused on job creation as well, and so part of creating this movement in the Sacramento area, um, pushing for clean technologies, we're really hoping to partner with companies that will set up shop here in the Sacramento area. We're working with community-based organizations to train um, the workforce of the future. We've got a grid alternatives pathway um, career program where we're working with community-based organizations who are training um, within our underserved areas how to install solar panels, how to install um, electric vehicle charging stations, and again, wanting to make sure that we have a pathway for, for jobs and job creation within Sacramento. Yeah, and I really appreciate that uh, because I think what, what Laura is also hitting on is it, it's not just the, the, the assistance or the rebate program or a discount. It's really about that, that transformational, which is the jobs, which are people starting new, new businesses, which can grow wealth, and sort of how do they get in a position um, you know, to be the next entrepreneur as well as be the next person that's going to kind of you know, rise, rise up to be the, the sea level at SMUD, uh, like, like Laura here. Uh, so I think like, fundamentally, the systemic inequities, you have to address both the current state, you know, how do I pay my bill today, but also how am I going to keep paying it over and over and over for a lifetime and then pass that you know, and, and, and acquire property and pass that on to my children. So I think, I think that, that transformational wealth and business growth is, is critical to kind of changing and making this transition different than a lot of the uh, past industrial revolutions. Yeah, it goes to the old proverb of you can teach him or you can give a man a fish and he'll eat for a day, but you teach him to fish and he will eat for a lifetime. Right, I was yeah. thinking about that. Yeah, so solutions that will go a long way, um, not, not uh, a one-time solution. Absolutely. Yeah. That's great. Thank you. Um, what are some challenges that aren't often discussed but are actually huge stumbling blocks for those pursuing decarbonization? Uh, I, I, can, I can name a few. I think kind of, you know, certainly, you know, uh, people often bring up policies. Um, certainly, you know, if you think about uh, uh, decarbonization, the supply of energy, uh, there's specifically interconnecting renewables. So how, how do you uh, permit, how do you do all the functions you need to do it safely, to do it, uh, to do it, you know, that's going to benefit everyone. But at the same time, how do you sort of remove uh, bureaucracy or administrative burden or red tape that's there just because of the way things used to connect? Because this is the way we did it when we connected a coal plant or a natural gas plant. Doesn't mean it has to always be the same when we're trying to connect, you know, thousands and thousands of distributed energy resources and new grid scale. So. I think of it as, you know, you, you can always think about the potential roadblocks um, and thinking about streamlining those, but also it comes down to there's still quite a bit of education. There, there's quite a bit of people that don't fully understand how their power was made before, how that has led to climate change, and how their decisions can, can make this change now. I think for me, one of the biggest challenges that we're keeping an eye on is affordability. So as we make um, this transition, obviously, there's a cost to it, um, but I think affordability is really key to ensuring that our economy still thrives. Um, our rates are significantly lower than our neighbors, and I think all of the, the savings from that actually goes back into our local economy, and we don't want to stop that. And so I think affordability is something that kind of underlies underlines everything that we're doing. Um, another challenge that I see is really the technology readiness, and I think our need 
our desire to get to the end state quickly, um, but I think there may be some intermediate steps that we may have to take in order to hit 2030. Um, for one, I don't know that hydrogen is going to be reliable and or available and affordable by 2030. So there may be an intermediate an intermediate step that we need to take um, when it comes to the transition of our thermal plants. We may need to look at things such as carbon capture and sequestration. And I know here in California, there's a desire to get away from all fossil fuels, um, but there may be again in order. To, to, for, the, for the betterment of the community and the environment, we may, we may need to take that, that um, initial step of carbon capture and sequestration with an eye of moving towards hydrogen in the long run. So a large part of decarbonization goals is the increase in EV infrastructure and EVs on the road. But how do we make that transition when we already have huge inequities in, in uh, mobility and transportation? Laura? I think for us, um, we're really looking at, again, access for, for underserved areas. Um, in California, we have a program called Clean Cars for All that we participate in, where we do um, provide, um, or the state provides um, incentives for you to turn in a gas-powered vehicle um, in exchange for um, the purchase of a used um, electric vehicle, used or new. Um, in addition to that, though, here within Sacramento, we're um, partnering with, again, community-based organizations um, to establish mobility hubs in our underserved areas. And those mobility hubs will um, offer clean, um, clean ride-sharing programs um, and electric, electric bikes and other, other modes of transportation. Yeah, that's a, that's a really great example because I, I do think it, it's, it's both uh, switching over those, those fossil fuel vehicles on the road as well as creating those new mobility opportunities, um, whether it's e-bikes or, or ride sharing. I think thinking about, you know, uh, if you're out, you know, California is definitely a driving state uh, and, and you see lots of vehicles on the road and really, you know, for several years, there, there really just hasn't been the used car market and, and most vehicles out there are bought used. So, so both creating, fostering the used car market, then also understanding that there's a lot of, you know, especially in California, more and more people living in multifamily housing. So, you know, it's not necessarily going to be the home charger for them. They are going to need these mobility hubs, public charging opportunities, uh, and kind of building on that, what we were talking about earlier in terms of wealth and growth, you can kind of picture the, you know, you know, you know, is, you know, it's typically, you know, the minority owned business that is kind of operating the current gas station. How are they going to transition and create new businesses and offer vehicle charging as well as, you know, all, all the things you need the, for people to refuel, um, uh, you know, the snacks and the drinks. Um, so, so really thinking about it holistically, but the more we can find opportunities to reduce the miles we're traveling in single passenger vehicles as just a, a one person driving around, I think all those can really change the game in terms of, you know, overall using less energy to be mobile at the same time that we're decarbonizing transportation. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's interesting and um, I'm very impressed with uh, um, the strong connection with, with all, uh, you know, factions of the society, all the community organizations, there's a strong collaboration between SMUD and community organizations and all uh, stages or all uh, objectives of decarbonization. I think, I think that's, that's really... Um, I think being really a community-owned um, organization, it really drives um, our decision-making is really centered around the community. Mm. That's great. Um, so who do you think is doing the transition the right way in terms of equity as well as decarbonization? 
<laughs> can I say that we are? <laughs> of yes. course. Yes, yes. yes. Uh, we can attest to that. <laughs> yeah. I really do feel that, again, we're a community-owned organization. I think we are here for the community, and that is seen with it throughout our entire culture here at SMUD. Um, and I think um, it, it really does become um, very easy to make decisions because we're making decisions with our community in mind. Yeah, and I can, I can be certainly back that up, that, that SMUD is one of the leaders, because I think if you think about it in two ways, SMUD uh, with, across the state of California is looked to as a leader by all the community choice aggregators, as well as the larger utilities in terms of being the example and being uh, at the forefront and the leader in terms of being aggressive about decarbonization supply as well as electrification of end uses. At the same time, you know, across all public power, SMUD is looked to as, as I, th I think, one of the benchmarks really in terms of, of how do you operate. And, and I think what, what Laura mentioned earlier is maybe Maybe part of that model in terms of trying to create a more equitable solution is how do you how do you make that that uh, you know community ownership stronger regardless of the structure of the utility, uh, but really thinking about it as if you think community first, you're 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 essentially going to think about you know all the different diversity and all the different neighborhoods and and who's going to really benefit from all your choices, and I think that's really critical. To to conclude or. On a, on a different, a little bit slightly different note, um, are we thinking big enough? What big ideas could change things that no organization has dared to try yet? I think one of the areas where we need to improve as an industry is not feeling like we need to solve this alone. Um, mm -hmm. I think partnerships are key. Um, and and I, I actually think of an example of where I see a really strong partnership um, down in Southern California. So SoCal Gas is actually looking at being kind of the hydrogen provider for um, not just the transportation sector, but also for power utilities as well. They've partnered with LADWP and they're looking at um, the conversion of one of LADWP's um, coal power plants to a hydrogen plant. And I think those are the types of partnerships that we can lean on. The electric utility doesn't necessarily need to solve this, this issue alone. Um, a lot of our emissions come from the transportation sector. A lot of the emissions come outside of um, electric utilities. And so really making sure that we're looking at this holistically and, and trying to solve this problem together, I think is important. Jared, what about you from your perspective? Yeah, I, I think the, the partnerships, is, uh, the, especially the one Laura just mentioned, I think is really compelling. And I think you, you thinking about, right, at the same time that we're trying to make this transition, there's also this convergence, right? It's effectively, every in, industry is, is, a, is kind of getting into the energy industry, right? You've, get, you've got the tech companies, you've got lots of different players, whether they're going to be the renewable owners of the generation, whether they're going to try to roll out their own kind of social media-based uh, efforts to kind of change energy demand and consumption. So I think kind of that convergence and kind of thinking about bold new partnerships of, of companies you think that would you know just, just be competing in the larger landscape coming together to create kind of these more holistic solutions. And then kind of hearkening back to one of the other things we mentioned is, you know, often when we talk about uh, whether it's, it was energy efficiency years ago, sustainability, or now the energy transition, really thinking about there's always talk about how do we unlock all the, the other investment and the other uh, capital that, that could come to bear. And really, I think one of the big ways to do that is these new newfound partnerships, right? If we can have community-centered partnerships that bring together, you know, a dozen uh, different companies all trying to uh, all trying to serve, then you can actually create these really accelerated situations where instead of thinking about a 20-year horizon, you're thinking about 10 or 5. Yeah. It, it makes me think of, um, uh, especially at the height of the pandemic, it's across 
the whole world and everyone, like the slogan of the pandemic was, we're all in this together. Um, so all companies, yeah. yeah. We end our conversation with those exciting notes. Thank you for joining us. I'd like to thank our guests for joining us today and you for listening along. If you haven't already, go ahead and hit the subscribe button and give us a rating. We'd love to hear from you. If you're interested in joining us on the grid, email us at info at zprime.com. For updates, please be sure to follow us on LinkedIn at zprime and on Twitter at zprime underscore research. This episode was produced by Ricky Murray and edited by Aria Levanti. Cover art is designed by Mia Dance.